Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for being here today. Glad to have you here. Hey, starting in two weeks, uh, we are launching our summer Bible study series, and it is called Top Ten, and it is a study of the Ten Commandments. And I don't know about you, but I learned the Ten Commandments growing up, like in Sunday school and so on, but then when you start reading the New Testament, it's easy to disregard the, you know, parts of the Old Testament, especially the, the Ten Commandments. But these were the original Ten Commandments for God's children. And so it is important for us to study them, to understand them, and to know how they apply to us today. So we're going to take the summer and drop right into the Ten Commandments. And I hope you guys will join me in that. Uh, That starts in two weeks. Okay, to introduce today's message, watch this video. guys recognize the movie? Notre Dame fans, were you guys singing along? <laughs> I'm looking at a few out there. They give me a hard time because I'm a Michigan fan, but you know, I can be fair too. have a Rudy video. Um, how many of you have seen the movie? All right, quite a few. Um, for those who haven't though, this is a movie about Daniel Rudy Rudiger. He, his whole life, wanted to play for Notre Dame But he was kind of a little guy. He wasn't very talented physically, but he worked really hard to make the practice squad. So he finally makes the practice squad. They finally let him dress his senior year, the last game, and in the last play of the game, they put him in, and he sacks the quarterback. And I believe he's still the only Notre Dame football player who was carried off the field by his teammates. So, yeah. Now, the thing is, is that Rudy, you saw in in this practice, he's a little guy getting beat up quite a bit. He didn't make the team because of his talent. He made the team because of his hard work and perseverance, right? That's why he made his team. 
we, hard work and perseverance can make up for a lack of talent. Let me give you another example. In high school, um, I tried out for the high jump. I wanted to, to do the high jump my sophomore year. And uh, I quickly learned that the high jump can be a, a painful event. If you, if you jump over the bar, you land in a nice cushion and it doesn't hurt at all. But if you don't quite get over the bar, you knock the bar off and it lands right here in the small of your back. I mean, you just land on this bar. And maybe they've changed it, but it was like a s- square, you know, like it had these sharp edges and it just hurt. And so I tried it and I just gave up because it was too much pain for me and didn't do the high jump. But there was another guy, one of my teammates, his name was Tom Goodman, a uh, year younger than me. And I wouldn't say that he was really that talented, but he kept working at and working at it and working at the high jump. He was about five foot nine or so. And by, his, by my senior year, his junior year, he was high jumping over six foot, like six one, six two. And he didn't necessarily get there because of talent. He got there because of hard work, because hard work can make up for a lack of talent. Here's a couple of quotes. Antoine Griezmann, he's a French professional soccer player, says this, with hard work and effort, you can achieve anything. Then Ian Duncan Smith, a British politician, says, luck is great, but most of life is hard work. And then most of us know the famous basketball player, Kobe Bryant. He said this, great things come from hard work and perseverance. No excuses. And we kind of know this, right? We've been taught this growing up that hard work is going to pay off. And, and most great things in life are not handed to us. We have to earn them. We have to work hard for them. But how does that apply to our spiritual walk? See, it can be a little bit confusing when we start to talk about our faith and we add hard work into that because most of us have been taught that it's not by works that we are saved. The scripture says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So let me just be clear. We cannot earn our salvation. Salvation is a gift from God that is available to each and every one of us. We have to choose to believe it and choose to receive it and make God our Lord. That's how we get the ticket to heaven, all right? That's how we enter heaven. But it doesn't end on our salvation day. Our faith walk doesn't end. In the same way, like if you make the team, that's not the end of being on the team. That's not the end of your season. That's the beginning of your season. And I will just say, when you make the team, that's the beginning of your hard work, right? That's the beginning. In the same way, when we choose to follow Jesus and we are saved by grace, That is the beginning of our time of effort. It should be. It should be. And we don't want to get those two confused because I do think that many of us have have looked at the Scripture and said, okay, I can't earn heaven, so I'm just going to kind of coast in my faith and live in His grace and make it to heaven one day. But that's not the goal. The goal is to become like Christ while we're alive here on earth. And I don't know about you, but I'm I'm a long way from the image of Christ. And I'm not, I'm not just going to magically become like Jesus. It's, 
I'm too far away, right? Maybe, Jeff, you could, but I'm, I'm not. You know, it's going to take a lot of time and effort for me to get there. So when we choose to follow Jesus, that should be the beginning of the hard work in front of us. Here's a few scriptures that talk about our goal. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Living like Jesus did is going to take effort. It's not going to come naturally. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Again, following Christ's example is not an easy undertaking. It's going to take effort. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That process of becoming, being transformed into Christ's image is called sanctification. It's sanctifying us to be more like Christ. And let me just submit to us today, that's not an easy process, and it won't happen without effort on our part. Now, trust me in this, we can't do it on our own either, and we're going to talk about that today. God will partner with us in this process, but we need to be taking steps towards our sanctification. So hold that thought. We're continuing our message series today called Not a Fan. And uh, I've really enjoyed this, being a sports fan. I don't know if anyone else has, but I've enjoyed this series. And uh, we've encouraged you to wear some sports jerseys, and uh, uh, all of our speakers have been wearing jerseys through this as well. Um, but in this series, uh, it's based off the book by Kyle Eidelman called Not a Fan, where he talks about the difference between being a fan of Christ and being a follower of Christ. And he compares it to being a fan in the stands versus a player on the field. And uh, the scripture uh, for our series comes from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So this idea of following Christ means that we will pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and make effort to follow Christ. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort to follow Jesus. Now, in this area of effort and work, let's talk about fans versus players. Because there's a big difference, right, between being a fan of a sport and being a player in a sport. So think about it. If you wanted to go to a Notre Dame game this fall, how much work would you have to put into it? You might have to wake up, right, find the sunscreen, locate your tickets, you know, get in the car, Drive to the game, and there's really not a lot of effort. You make it to your, to your seat, and you, and you watch the game. That's what you do. But if you think of the players, how much effort did they put into getting to that game? Right? They, they practiced all offseason. They've been lifting weights probably since they were like 12 years old. You know, I mean, lifting weights and, and working hard and, and trying out and sweating and recovering from injuries. And that whole week leading up to the game, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they are working all day. 
getting ready for that game. See, there's a huge difference between a fan in the stands and a player on the field. Now, if we use that analogy for us as Christians, I would say there are a lot of fans of Jesus in the, the church in America today, right? They're not putting a lot of effort into their spiritual walk. They show up for the game on Sunday, but Monday through Friday, there's not a lot of effort going into their spiritual condition. So if we want to be followers of Jesus, that means that we are going to put effort into our spiritual condition, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday as well. All right, so in honor of Rudy, who put a lot of effort into making the Notre Dame football team, I'm going to do something that I didn't think I'd ever do this weekend, which is to wear a Notre Dame jersey. So, yeah, I think this is a baseball jersey. <laughs> You guys don't know how painful this is, being a Michigan fan. <laughs> but some of you decided you're actually going to stay at the church. That's helpful for us today. That's helpful. <laughs> All right. So um, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading a couple of verses from there. Uh, we'll also have the verses up on the screen. Galatians is near the... I don't know, near the end of the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it's in there. So Philippians is right there uh, between Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So um, this is a letter written to the church in Philippi by the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and honestly, I think this is one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Philippians. Uh, just there's so much practical instruction in here, and I just love you know, when God just says, hey, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. Um, so anyway, we're going to read from verses, uh, just two verses, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Let me read it again, just two verses. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. All right, so today's message is practice makes perfect. And I'm going to give us a couple of reasons from the scripture why we should put some effort into our spiritual condition Monday through Friday and not just on the weekends. Um, but first, let me pray, and then I'll give you some things you can fill in on your handout. So Lord, we come to you today, and we thank you for your word that is true, that speaks to our situation today. I mean, God, it is miraculous that this book was written uh, 2,000 years ago, and it's still super applicable to what we are doing today. So God, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak your words and that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can fill this in on your handout. 
We should work hard on our faith because, number one, God rewards our effort. God rewards our effort. Starting with verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. So that word, uh, work out, is this Greek word, something like keter gadzom ahi, something like that. But it means to work fully. All right, that is to accomplish by implication, to finish, to do, to perform, to work, to work out. It implies effort. So Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, continue to put some effort into your salvation. Put some energy into your salvation. Work out your salvation and do it seriously. I mean, with fear and trembling. I mean, this is a serious deal. That's what he's saying. But then he says, for it is God who works in you. And I love that because we can think that this whole process of working on our salvation is completely up to us, but it's not. See, God rewards us. He is the one who works in us as we work out our salvation. We work out and he works in. An example I thought of um, of this is that uh, when I go on these men's wilderness trips, many times we'll memorize a section of scripture and we'll give the guys a little memorization card. And uh, while we're carrying the backpacks and the canoes and we're on these long treks through, through the woods, um, you just need to think about something else. So it's nice to not be thinking about the pain you're in and the fact that I can't breathe, you know, all those things. And you have this card and you just start reading it and trying to memorize it. And as you read it and memorize it, first of all, time just goes by. I mean, that's what's really helpful. And God gives you strength as you're doing it. But more importantly, the word of God gets written in our hearts. He starts to work in us. As we're working hard to memorize, he's working in us his word and his truth. And through these trips, I have much of the book of Philippians actually memorized um, just because of the sections of Scripture that we've chosen out of the book of Philippians. So it helps on the trip, but then in life, it helps later. Many times, God will take what he worked in me, and he'll bring it back out. He'll bring it back out, and it will apply to my situation, and it will give me the strength that I need in that time. He's partnered with me with the work that I put in while on these trips. And he'll bring up the scriptures, not just for me, but for other people as well. He, he brings it up. And it, so what's worked out was worked in, and then God partners with me and pulls it back out. And does that make sense? Let me give you another example. There's a scripture in Luke chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I like this because this scripture implies that when we make some effort towards him, he makes some effort towards us, right? So he partners with us. If, we're, if we don't judge, then he won't judge us. 
If we don't condemn, then he won't condemn us. If we forgive others, then he will forgive us. If we give, he will give back to us. Do you see that? It, every, each one of those implies some effort on our part. I don't know about you, but it is a struggle for me to forgive people. It is a struggle. It takes effort for me to be financially generous. You know, so it, 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 it t- it's telling us that we have to put some energy and some effort into our faith. But the cool thing is that he rewards us because he partners right back at us, right back at us. And I will just tell you, when I forgive someone, that's nothing compared to God's forgiveness for me. You know, so I, I'm making this little effort towards him and he's bringing back incredible forgiveness for me. In this area of finances, he says, give. Just give. And I'll give back to you. But he says, I'm not going to give back to you the same amount. I'm going to give back to you a good measure, shaken together, right? Pressed down, poured over the top, and just pouring over. Like he's going to give back so much more than we could ever give to him. That's just what God does. Another scripture says this. Um, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Again, it's that idea of if we take a step towards God, if we make the effort towards him, he will move towards us. He will come near to us. And all of these scriptures just talk about us taking initiative, us taking the first step, us giving to him. And trust me, God always gives us back more than we give to him. Here's your fill-in. It's impossible to outgive God. Can't be done. Can't be done. It's going to be a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. That's what he'll give back. We understand this in our, in our relationships, right? Do we all have that one relationship where you're the only one making effort? Like they don't make any effort. You, you guys been there? And it's just not fun to be in that relationship, is it? You know, where it's just like completely one-sided. So much of our relationship with God is one-sided. It's not on our end. God's making the effort, and he's just like, just make some effort. Make some effort in your relationship with me. Say, make some effort on your spiritual condition. Put some energy into it. And trust me, I'll be right there. And I will reward you. And I will partner with you. And I will give back to you everything that you give to me. Every single time. Every single time. All right, you have another fill-in. It starts with my effort, but I'm going to skip that. And we'll get back to it in point two. So here's, that's point number one. We should work hard on our faith because God rewards our effort. Number two, though, we should work hard on our faith because God's good purpose is fulfilled. God's good purpose is fulfilled. I didn't catch this earlier when I was reading this, but this week it caught me. It just kind of struck me where it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
Guys, we want God's good purpose to be fulfilled. We may not know it, we may not understand it, but trust me, it's better than my purpose. It's better than your purpose. We want God's good purpose to be fulfilled. When he taught his disciples how to pray, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray like this, your will be done as it, on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's good purpose to be done in our lives and in those around us. But it can be confusing sometimes. And it can be a long journey to get there. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about um, uh, Joseph from the Old Testament. So Joseph was the one with the Technicolor dream coat. You might know him by that. He was one of 12 brothers, uh, one of the youngest ones. And he was spoiled. He was the favorite son and uh, the other thing is that God's anointing was on him. He had prophetic uh, dreams, and he could interpret dreams. It was part of what God had put within him. So as a young boy, he has a prophetic dream that his brothers and his parents are all going to bow down to him one day. How do you think that went with all of his brothers that hated him? You know, it didn't go very well. So he's, you know, he's just trying to follow God in his youth, but he ends up getting captured by his brothers, thrown into a well to die. And one of his brothers says, no, we can't let him die. Let's, let's at least sell him as a slave in Egypt. So they pulled him out. They sold him as a slave. I mean, Joseph's life is not going very good. Okay, his brothers hate him. He's been thrown into a pit. He's now sold as a slave. He ends up uh, becoming a slave to a guy named Potiphar. And he does really well. He works really hard has integrity, and uh, his, um, Potiphar's wife starts hitting on him, and he's like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have anything to do with you because I respect God and I respect my boss. I mean, he has, he's working hard on his integrity and his salvation. I'm sure that wasn't easy to say no to Potiphar's wife. Well, in the end, she turns against him, accuses him of rape, and he gets thrown out and thrown into jail. So he's in jail for a crime that he didn't commit. I mean, this is a long journey, right? And he continues to pursue God. And while he's in jail, a couple of guys, inmates, have dreams. He seeks God and he interprets their dreams. And then he says, just tell Pharaoh about me so that I can get out of prison. Well, they forgot about him. Two more years he's in prison. And he's just working you know, trying to be a good, faithful person. The, the prison uh, warden puts him in charge of all the other prisoners. I mean, again, he's just a, a man of integrity. But he's in prison. Finally, Pharaoh has a dream about, it, it needs to be interpreted, but it ended up being about a famine that was coming. And they remembered uh, Joseph, brought him up. He interprets the dream. And he ends up um, being put in charge of everything in Egypt. He's just one step below Pharaoh. And he saves Egypt. He stores up grain and he saves them from the upcoming famine. God's purpose for Joseph, if you just want to kind of walk big picture, God's purpose for Joseph was to save not only Egypt, but the land of Canaan as well, the biblical lands, from this upcoming famine, right? And 
his own family, his brothers, his dad. That was his purpose. But it was a long, terrible journey to get there, right? But because Joseph kept his head down, he kept trying to do the right thing all the way through, God's purpose was completed. He says this to his brothers uh, when they realize who he is. He sa- and they're afraid. They're afraid that he's going to have them killed. He says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God's plan for Joseph was good, but the journey was hard. But when we work hard on our salvation, when we work and continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, along the journey, even when it looks dark, even when it looks hard, God's will can be accomplished. If Joseph had given up at any step of the way, that wouldn't have happened. That wouldn't have happened. All right, so here's, here's a question I want us to ask ourselves. First of all, it's just kind of a status question. Am I experiencing God's goodwill in my life? Am I seeing it? You know, Joseph was, was, it was a rough journey, but he still had God with him along the way. He could feel his peace along the way. He could, God was still using him to interpret dreams, so he could see it, that it was happening, but it was a tough journey. So are you seeing God's will in your life? That's the first question. And then the second one is this. If not... Ask yourself this question. How much effort am I putting into my spiritual condition? How much effort am I putting into my spiritual condition? Guys, there's a lot of things that we can give our life to in this world. And they might give us a little bit, hap- little bit of happiness for a moment. But let me just tell you, when we put our energy and effort into what God has planned for us, man, it brings so much better result. God's will is so much better than anything that this world has to offer. And it's worth the effort. So how much effort are we putting into our spiritual condition? Becoming more like Christ so that he can use us more and more and more. Here's your feeling. My effort releases God's plan. That's when we skipped. My effort releases God's plan. God's plan. This year, our, our word for 2022 as a church is passion. And my hope through this year is that we all become more passionately in love with Christ. And, uh, and I want to I talk about this for a moment. We don't do these things to win God's love. We do this because we love God. Does it make sense? I mean, God will do these things. He'll meet us. We'll see his plans unfold, but at the end of the day, we should put effort into our relationship, into our relationship with Christ because we love him, because he died for us, and we get to spend eternity with him. He's created heaven as a reward for us, and so we should pour into our, you know, our sanctification 
just be out of love for Christ. <laughs> um, I didn't talk about this first service, but when, uh, when Rose and I got married, I thought I was a pretty good husband, you know, on that day. And it's a good thing for us that I didn't stay there. Do you know what I mean? I've continued to read books. I continue to watch videos. I continue to work on being a better husband for our relationship to grow. That's what it took. That's what it takes. And I don't do that because it's the right thing to do. I do it because I love her. I love her. And I want to be the best husband I can be, but it takes effort. It takes energy. It takes sacrifice. Well, when we choose to follow Jesus, it doesn't end there. That's the beginning. We've got to put energy and effort into that relationship with God. And he's asked us, hey, just, just be more like my son Jesus. He, he created the standard. Follow him. He even taught you what to say. Just do it. Just do whatever he told you. All right, so that's your second point. Um, we should all work hard on our faith because God's good purpose is fulfilled. Here's four ways to work out our salvation. You guys know me. I'm a pretty practical guy, so i like to give you a couple of tools as well um, as reasons. And so the first one is this, just to study the playbook. Um, guys, this is, this is our playbook. You know, professional athletes, they actually have a playbook that's probably close to this thick, and they have to memorize it, and they do it to make a buck, to play a game. I mean, we should take the time and energy to study this playbook, all right? This is how we should live. It's all in here. The second point is this, to find a coach. If, you don't, if you're not sure how to apply this book to your life, find somebody who's further ahead than you and just say, hey, would you, would you meet with me? I want to talk about this book and how it applies to my life, but I need someone to coach me. And you know, they don't have to be a pastor to coach you. Let me just tell you that. I mean, Matt and I would be more than willing to do that, but you don't have to find a pastor to coach you. Just find somebody that's further ahead than you, somebody you respect, and you say, you know, you seem to have your Christian walk together. Can we meet? Can I buy you coffee once a month? And we just talk about this. Find yourself a coach. Third point is this, is to do some spiritual calisthenics. And that's how you spell calisthenics, by the way. I didn't know how to do that. We'll leave it up there for a little while. <laughs> if we want to play a sport, we've got to get in shape, right? I mean, we've got to do our push-ups, got to do our sit-ups, got to do our jumping jacks, got to run, got to do those things. Spiritual calisthenics are called spiritual disciplines. And that doesn't sound like a fun thing, and it's really not. Spiritual disciplines are hard, but so is calisthenics, right? I mean, we do them for the reward, you know, later on. It's the same thing with spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines should be part of our spiritual walk. That includes reading your Bibles, praying, fasting, worship, silence and solitude. You know, these things are tough, but that should be part of our regular routine as we develop more and more like Christ. 
And if you want to know more about spiritual disciplines, there's a book I recommend called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And you can download it to your Kindle or buy it on Amazon. But it's a wonderful book that talks about spiritual disciplines and how to apply those to your life. But that's our spiritual calisthenics. And we just need to incorporate those into our walk. It will make us more like Christ. And last is don't forget to rest and recover. Rest and recover. That's our weekly Sabbath. That's what today is. To be honest, today is really a rest and recovery day. Um, this is the day where we do a lot of the, the heavy lifting. You know, we lead you in worship. We will pray with you. We'll, we'll preach a message. We'll go through scripture and, and tell you what we think it says. You know, but this is your rest and recovery day. This shouldn't be the only day of the week that you're working out. So you, you should be doing workouts Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then you get to coast in on Sunday and let us kind of do the work for you. Does that make sense? Everybody needs a Sabbath. We need the Sabbath. We need this day of rest and recovery. But it doesn't mean much if we haven't been working out all week long. We've got to put effort through the week so that the rest and recovery matters. Rest and recovery matters. All right, I'm going to invite Emma to come up here. She's going to lead us in a song called Pursuit. And in the chorus, um, this is just a song where it's a commitment to say that I will pursue you. That's, that's what it is. It's just this statement in the chorus that I will pursue you, God, because I want your presence. I want your purpose in my life, and I'm going to make some effort into it. So I'm going to encourage you all just to sit down while she sings this song. Consider the words and just consider whether or not you need to increase your pursuit of God and his purpose in your life. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.